The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Uh, if you're new, welcome. My name is Ryan, and I'm your pastor. And today, we are in Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Today, uh, we are talking about something that I guarantee you, guarantee, when you started this year, you would have never guessed that during the Christmas season at the chapel at Fishhawk, maybe some of you would have guessed, we are going to look at a sermon that talks about menstruation. <clears throat> I know, you're like, What? This is supposed to be a Christmas time, like poinsettias and trees and, and grinches and reindeer. Or we're just going to keep going through the Gospel of Mark. And it is one of the most beautiful stories uh, for me to think about because it's a story about two miracles sandwiched together. If you haven't been tracking with us, or, or just as a reminder, a few weeks ago we looked at Jesus calming the storm. And he, he was showing us, I am God and creator, creator over nature. And then he got to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and there he encountered a man possessed by a demon, by a legion of demons. And he, he freed the man. And he freed the man out of sheer love and grace. And he was showing us, I am the God over all supernatural things. And then today, he goes back over the sea. He's taken this boat across, heals the demon-possessed man, comes back across, where the crowds greet him, and he's going to get caught up and journey with a father, a father who is terrified for his little girl. And in the midst of that moment where Jesus is, is going to go help this, this man's daughter, he encounters the woman who we're going to read about today. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to read, and we're going to jump into it. Are you guys ready? Okay. Hopefully you're there. Hopefully you're there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray one more time, and uh, we just need... Need God to, to change us. That's what we're praying for. Father, it's so easy to get caught up in the earn our own way religion. It's so easy to get caught up in the, the standard fanfare that you love us only if we're obeying, and when we disobey, you don't love us. And it's so easy, Lord, because I see it all the time. I see it on the faces of people when they fail, they think their failure has pried your, your loving arms from them. And, and it's just not so, Lord. So I pray that today you would remind us, that you would show us, that you would teach us through this story of this woman how much you love us and how it's just the smallest measure of faith to embrace your presence that changes everything. Lord, I pray that we would not leave here the same people that we walked in as. I pray that we would not leave here with less hope, but with more hope. I pray that we would leave here knowing that we are more loved than we could ever imagine. Lord, teach us, show us, change us. All God's kids said, amen. <clears throat> Jesus, verse 21, when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him. At this point, wherever Jesus went, there was a great crowd, a great crowd, not just a little crowd, a Disney New Year's Eve crowd, people pressing in. And, and for me, this story, it it's a father. So I'm thinking, okay, here, here we go. Great crowd coming in. Verse 22, then, then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, a religious person. Usually these people were the, they looked at Jesus with suspicion. This man's name was Jairus. And Jairus, seeing Jesus, fell at his feet. And he implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And the great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Good word, thronged. Use that today or this week in a sentence, thronged. 
I need you to understand that um, Jesus is saying, I'm God over nature. I'm God over these supernatural beings, demons, unclean spirits. And he lands on this thing, and there's a father. And I don't know about you guys, but <clears throat> there's something about when you're a parent, and if you're not a parent yet, just, just bear with me and pretend. When your kid is sick, you will do anything, anything. And, and God in his sovereign plans um, wanted to give me a living illustration because yesterday my elder son, Jackson, uh, he's very sickly. He gets sick all the time. I tell him constantly, dude, if we were born in the medieval times, you would not have made it. Um, and yesterday he started having asthma or two nights ago. And then yesterday it was just getting worse and worse. We were doing inhalers, the machine. And then he, he's sitting upright and then he's slouching and then he's slumping. And then all of a sudden you see his chest retracting. For those of you non-asthma parents, it means that essentially like your skin and muscles are sinking into your ribs and you can't even breathe anymore. At which point my wife says, to the ER. Now, I, I've never met anyone who's a fan of the emergency room. Um, we were going to St. Joe's South <laughs> ER. And if you're like me, and you love Denzel Washington, here's what you do every time you're going to the ER. You think, dude, if they don't get my kid in, I'm going straight John Q on this whole hospital. <laughs> I, am I the only one? I hope not, because I do think that. And, and at, at St. Joe's, I go there pretty regularly, and at the ER side of things, they have a clergy spot, which is where I normally park, because I'm a clergy, and I love it. The tax benefits and a parking spot at hospitals. And when I take my kids, I'm always conflicted. Like, do I park there if it's open or don't I? Because it's almost always open. Like, I feel like it's just for me, clergy Ryan. So I'm going to the ER, and I'm like, okay, he's not breathing. I couldn't, he could barely walk to the car when we were leaving our house. So I'm like, I'm going to just get my clergy spot because I say cars as I'm pulling into the ER. So I'm like, dude, I'm going to go John Q up in this place, Denzel. And then I get in there, and I pull up, and someone's in my clergy spot. So I know automatically someone is lying because there's not another clergy here. So I say, Lord, and here's how I know they weren't clergy because it was a PT Cruiser parked there and pastors would never drive PT Cruisers. It doesn't make sense. If you drive one, no offense, but offense. Um, <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I'm just going to park. And I go in. <clears throat> you guys, it was a miracle. There was, not a, there was cars in the whole ER parking lot, not a single person in the waiting room. Jesus vaporized everyone before we walked in. <laughs> And, uh, and when you bring in kids that can't breathe, I think they could see the, the look in your face. And, and Jackson's had asthma on and off throughout his whole life. And, but this is one of the few times where I, I saw him actually get scared on the drive over there. I saw him start to cry, and he said, he said Daddy, am I going to die? And if you know me at all, you know what I said. I said, well, eventually, yes, but probably not today. I said, we're probably going to get you better today, but eventually you'll die, so make sure that you love Jesus and believe in him. And that's... That's my way of comforting my children. <laughs> but I think that the parent, they must see it. And, and, and to be honest, too, if you bring a kid who can't breathe into the ER, they get you in so quick. So it's like my new philosophy is every time I need to go to the ER for anything, I'm bringing in one of my children who can't breathe. I'm just like, get me in. My kid can't breathe. And I broke my femur. Um, <laughs> I can't imagine this father with a daughter People told me when I had two sons on this, when you have a little girl, things change. I said, no, things won't change. And then I had a little girl and then another one, and I thought, good grief, I would kill people for my little girls. And this daughter's, just this father had a daughter at the point of death. Jesus must be exhausted because he, he went from sleeping in a boat in a storm to calming the storm to healing the demon that one day, going back over, it sounds like the next day, and now crowds are pressing in again. And if, if Jesus is anything like most of us, 
crowds are exhausting. It doesn't matter if you're just standing there. The presence of crowds can, can wear you down because it's a constant navigation. It, it's, that's why when I, when I went to Disney often, it's why we had the double bob stroller. It's the double wide stroller with, and it's shaped like a snowplow so I could just part the Red Sea because crowds. And this father must have stood out with some desperate look in his face. Like every parent that goes into every ER across this country, there's a look of desperation. Help my kid. And Jesus says, I'll come with you. Now this is, the the resolution of this story is next week. This week, as Jesus is going with this father, this desperate father saying, help my daughter, help my daughter. says the crowds pressed in, in verse 25, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. She had suffered much under many physicians. If you've suffered under a doctor, say amen. Take that, doctors. She had spent all that, they, all that she had. If you've ever had medical bills, say amen. Amen. If you want medical bills relieved, say please, Lord. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, you should say please, Lord. She had spent all that she had. She was no better, but rather she grew worse. She had heard reports about Jesus, came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, even if I touch his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was immediately, that she was healed of her disease. Okay, we read these stories in the Bible. And last week I did story time because I I realized early on that whatever's broken in my brain uh, makes me and helps me to see stories in writing. Um, and I like that, but I need us to, to feel the emotion of it because every story in the Bible is full of so much emotion and hope and desperation. So, so everyone, um, do the thing again. Hand out, grab some popcorn. Got it? Popcorn in. Light butter. Get your Diet Pepsi. Pepsi. Take a sip. Got it? Pepsi down. I did Coke last week, so I'm an equal opportunist. Coca-Cola. <clears throat> the, the woman had been bleeding for 12 years. To 12 years. Like, uh, her menstruation started one day, and it just kept going for 12 years. And in Jewish customs, if you read Leviticus 15, it says that any woman who is discharging beyond her time it's considered unclean. Now, this is not morally unclean. This is ceremonially unclean, which means that anything that she touched, if you touched it, you would be unclean and you couldn't go into the temple. And she herself could not go into the temple to, to make amends for her sins. She herself was exempted. She could not go before God and say, Lord, here's myself, because she could not bring that. It, there were these Jewish laws and customs. And I know some of you do this every year. You start reading the Bible in January. You go Genesis and you're strong. Some of you are experts in the story of creation and Noah's Ark and the Tower of Babel. But by the time you get to Leviticus, most of us die out in our Bible reading plan. But if you made it to Leviticus 15, you'd, you'd see all of these weird verses about, about don't t- touch people who are bleeding. Don't touch dead animals. Don't eat bacon. Everyone gasped. And you say, why? Why? Why would God have these weird rules for the Jewish people? Now, now, as a side note, the Jewish people had these rules from God, these laws from heaven, and they were supposed to share and be a light, a kingdom of priests, the Bible says, but they were not. But here's what's amazing about it. God knows microbiology before we know it. 
there were no microscopes back then. They didn't understand bacteria and viral diseases back then. But God did. And I can prove it. How many of you have met and hung out with a Mesopotamian? Anybody? Anybody? Nobody. How many of you have met or hung out with or know a Jewish person? Most of us, if not all of us. Because the Mesopotamians died. As a matter of fact, during this time of history, if you look around, uh, almost every nation that was all around, if you just go in out, outward circles from the Jewish people, they're all gone. Those civilizations are wiped out. Those peoples are gone. If you go on 23andMe, it might be a distant, distant, distant ancestor, but they are all dead now. Jewish people have lived on because God knew things that we did not know because science was not where God was at the time. Now, the Bible is not, is not primarily a scientific textbook, although there are amazing scientific things within it. This woman, though, she had had this discharge of blood. She was in violation of the Mosaic law for approaching God in the temple. This woman, anything she would have touched would be made unclean. And here we go into the story. Because this is 12 years of shame that she stood there in her house. She had gone to specialist after specialist. They had given her ointments and medications, but nothing had worked. And she had heard that Jesus was coming today. And then she heard the crowds coming outside of her house. But, but with Jesus was a man, and she could tell that Jesus was following this man, and the disciples were with him. And this woman, she had been bleeding for 12 years. She didn't have the strength to go out. But she said, you know, this is my last shot. And I don't know about you, but, but I know for me, when I'm injured, it's hard to move. And there, when there are crowds of people, it's even harder. Now, this is, this is a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, not a woman who's in her prime, not a, not a man who has this, the strength of, of, of a worker. This is a woman who's been sick. And in her mind, she had resolved, if I can just touch his robe. And in my mind, the scene sort of plays out because this woman comes around and, and her face is pale because she's been bleeding. The anemia is set in. She's emaciated. And Jesus is surrounded, the person she needs to reach, he's surrounded by people who are much stronger, much bigger, and more able to move than she. But she presses in because this to her is her last hope. But on the other side of Jesus leading the way is a father who's looking back and saying, this for me is my last hope. And you have two people, one following and one pulling, and the crowd pressing around, and the woman in desperation falls forward knowing full well in her mind, everyone that I touch is becoming unclean. Everyone that I touch is becoming a, a violator and, and ceremonially unable to go before God. But I need something. And in that moment, she falls. And, and I can't imagine, you guys, I'm, I'm six foot six. And when I get into a crowd, I start to panic and push things. I can't imagine what it would be like to be a sick person who is being put to the ground the reason I know this is because she touched the hem of his robe. She's not up with him. If she was up, she would have touched his shoulder. But in the midst of her pain, in the midst of her, her exhaustion, it says she reached out and said, if I can only touch the hem of his robe. And she touched it. Jesus was on a mission. The disciples were there with him. And Jesus feels power. And, and if you can see it in your mind, it's, it's a moment where Jesus is moving forward and, and she touches his robe, unaware that anything is going on right now, but he feels his power be, be drawn from him. And you're thinking, How, what does that even mean? And I'll tell you what it means. There are so many things we don't understand in, in biology, spirituality, and psychology. We, we don't understand so many things. For instance, side note from the story, isn't it weird that you can be doing something and you can feel someone staring at you? Have, has anyone had that sensation? You can feel somebody staring at you that's not touching you, 
that they're not right next to you. Like, obviously, if somebody goes right next to you and puts their nose in your ear, you're like, get away. But sometimes you can feel someone staring, and you turn, and you know that they were staring at you because they go like this. And you go, busted. I, don't, I can't explain that. No, nobody can explain that yet. Science hasn't caught up to that yet. But what I can tell you is that there are realities that we don't understand. And this reality was that somehow the faith of this woman touching the edge of his cloak drew power from him. The Bible says she knew she was healed right then. And Jesus says, who touched my garments? Jesus, I think the moment he turns around, don't forget the father of the little girl, his heart must be sinking. Jesus, we've, we've got to go. My little girl, Jesus, we, we've got to go. And Jesus says, no, 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 who touched, who touched me? The disciples say, Jesus, we're, we're all touching you. We're, all, we're, we're, we're in a crowd. You've been healing people. You cast out demons. We, just, we all want a piece of, of just being near you. And Jesus, Jesus knew that there was something different. He knew that it wasn't one of these bumps. It wasn't one of these people pressing in. It wasn't one of these people saying, Jesus, Jesus. It was, it was somebody that was at the bottom. He looked around to see, what he, see who had did it, done it. And here's terrifying, the woman. The woman knowing what had happened to her. She knew that she was healed. She knew that something had changed. She, with fear and trembling, here's why she's afraid, because she was unclean and she just touched someone and made them unclean. She was unfit to go before God and she just touched a godly teacher. She was not accepted by the religious people and she touched the rabbi who was connecting people to God. This is why she's afraid. This is where so many of us live today. We think that our present, our past, we think that our addictions, we think that our, our sinfulness, we think that our uncleanliness before God, how could we possibly go to church? How could we possibly be involved in a small group? How could we possibly be involved in these things? If you knew me, you wouldn't know. That's what, that's what we think. People tell me all the time, Pastor, I can't go to your church. Why, why, why can't you go? Because I've heard the same answers before. If I go, God will burn down your building. I'm like, please, Lord, do it insurance we have insurance for if i go god will strike strike me with lightning I'm like dude you live in tampa odds are good anyway <laughs> you don't know you don't know what i've done I, i'll tell you what here's what i do know i know people who have been jailed i know people i know people who have committed the most heinous crimes i know people who have who are in jail forever for murdering i know people who are in jail for hurting children i know people who are in jail for assaulting their wives, for assaulting their husbands. And I know that while I am not the God of the universe and while I might struggle to forgive some of these people for these things if they were done toward me, that God himself in the flesh says, reach, reach out and connect to Jesus. And all you need is a little bit of faith. The most amazing thing is that Jesus turned around, of course, there's, there's books and sermons that just preached about that phrase, that Jesus, in the ESV, it says he turned about. He deviated. It was a divine detour. I'm going to get to your little girl, but something amazing just happened back here. The faith of this woman activated my power to heal her. In her desperation, the girl on the ground, looking up, full of fear and trembling, she tells Jesus everything that just happened. 
afraid that she's about to be cast out, afraid that she's about to be removed by the disciples because she's an unclean woman, and she just confessed to everyone. Those who were her neighbors would have known. She touched him. He's unclean. Let's bounce. But Jesus doesn't say, your infection has infected me. As a matter of fact, it's the very opposite. When you come to Jesus, you don't infect him with your sin infection. He, his perfection covers your infection. Or if you want to be super corny, his perfection covers your sinfection. That's what you call dad joke, fam. When you touch Jesus, when you enter into a faith family and, and come to Jesus by faith, you might think, oh, man, I'm, I'm going to mess everyone up. Guess what? Newsflash, we're all messed up. This week, I almost broke children's ministry in the back. Um, Donna and Greg, they were like, I just, Donna's like, I, I need some help. Technology stuff, I need a break. Got the foster kid, Christmas stuff. I was like, I got you, Donna. I could do this because I've been a pastor for like 20 years. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> so I'm like writing people, trying to do emails, make it all sound official and proper like, getting substitutes, getting people to check in. You guys, I totally, the first week I was in charge of Kidman, just for temporarily to help out, I, I missed an entire room of children. They didn't have a teacher. Just straight up. Like, they're like, we don't have a teacher. And I'm like, that's my bad. <laughs> and people were taking responsibility. Donna was trying to cut in. I was like, you go in there. You've been doing this. The Schaefer's, a few kids in pre-K, kindergarten, go thank them. It wasn't their week, but they're back there teaching the kids. By the way, we could sure use some more teachers and substitute teachers. If you love kids and have no felonies, and then come talk to me afterward. We accept misdemeanors. No felonies. But here's the thing. It's, here's the thing, like, people were, I was, this I was watching people beat themselves up. I mean, I was watching you. You were like, I can't believe it. Was it supposed to be me? I was like, no, it was me. Because here's the thing. I know that even as followers of Jesus, even though every week I tell you, this is my sermon. It's summed up by what the person who was checking in kids this week, Miss Nicole, she said, she said, we all, I think she said something very eloquent. We all suck. And Jesus saved us, or something like that. I said, yes, that's every sermon I'll ever preach. Every sermon. But here's how I know that we don't believe it. The woman came to Jesus knowing that everyone around her, when she said, here's what I've been going through, it was going to be shame, condemnation, and step away. I can't believe that you're doing this. And we say, well, that's not us. We're the chapel. We accept people who are broken. But you guys, we can hardly accept ourselves when we're broken. Because our pride wants us to put up the best versions of ourselves, Which is why the more you practice this idea of, Lord, I've got nothing, but I need Jesus. That's it. I'm broken. I'm messed up. But if I could just get to Jesus, I just need a little bit. Of, I just need to touch the edge of Jesus. And then it doesn't matter. Then you can be so free. It will shock you. And here's the thing I posed a few weeks ago. And I, I'm convinced that this is going to be the new, one of the new hobby horses I, I ride on. Is that... I, most Christians, when I ask them, are you freer now in Christ than you were before you knew Jesus? So often the look is one that instantly reveals the answer. No, like in Jesus, I feel like I'm more confined. 
But the Bible says that Christ came to set you free. Free. Well, yeah, but all these rules in Christianity, like at least we don't have the bacon rule anymore, praise God. At least, we, at least when, when a girl's on her time of the month now, she can still touch people, but all the husbands still run anyway, amen? I mean, if you're smart and safe. So, but there's still these rules, like all these things, don't do this, don't look at that, don't drink too much of this, don't eat too much of that, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but are you free? Because here's the thing, I've been following Jesus now for, for over 20 years, and I've never been more free. But here's the other tricky side. There's a dark side of Christianity that says just be free enough to look like everyone else. Don't be so free that when you blow it, you could be like, I blew it so bad. Because here's the, the sadness of life and religion and any religion is that we don't compare ourselves to God's standard. We compare ourselves to the standards of everyone around us. And as long as we're a little bit better than the person next to us, then we feel a-okay. Jesus doesn't work like that. He says, just come to me by faith. You can let all your baggage hang out, and I'll love you. I'll wait for you. I'll be here to pick you up. He tells her, your faith has made you well. The only peace that God asks you to have is faith. I believe in a great healer. Uh, I believe that God can do miraculous things. And I don't give people church shopping advice very often, but I will give this one piece of advice. If, if you ever find yourself church shopping again because you move or because I offend you greatly, the only thing that I need you to remember is if you go to a church that doesn't believe that God can do miracles, go, go find a different one. There's no way, I, I believe that you can read the Bible and walk away from it thinking God doesn't do miracles anymore. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the healer. Some of you need to touch Jesus' robe, his cloak, because you've been battling something. You've had surgery recently. You've got a cancer diagnosis. You've got a kid who can't breathe every other month. Reach out in your faith and don't give up. It doesn't mean don't go to doctors, but it means don't place your faith only in doctors. Place your faith in the, the Savior. Now, if you're this woman, you are forever grateful that Jesus turned around. But what are you feeling if you're this father? Uh, Jesus, my little girl is dying. Uh, I'm, I don't know what that father was feeling like, but I'll, I know that I'm not patient when my kids are not doing well. And, and I know that not everybody had processed that Jesus was the creator of the universe yet. So I don't know if the father was like, uh, Jesus, Jesus, my girl's still dying. Thanks for getting this old and busted, but young and dying. You know, I don't know if he snapped at Jesus because Jesus could just blow his middle finger off, which would be good for some of you, by the way, seeing you drive. <clears throat> uh, I don't know. But I know that I'd be frustrated. I know that I'd be scared. But Jesus, when, when he takes a detour, sometimes we don't like the timing as a matter of fact, 99% of the time, we, we don't like God's timing. We want everything to be done in our timing, in our way, because deep, deep down, we all think that we are God. And we don't say it out loud, but we act like it. But when Jesus takes the detour, he says, look, I've got things going on that are different from your plan. I told you I'm coming to get your little girl, and I'll get her. But this happened, and people are seeing this on the go. Sometimes you, the, the detours that Jesus is taking in your life are going to be painful. 
Someone asked me this morning, like, geez, you can't catch a break. Your wife with her, her brain cyst and your father-in-law going to surgery and your kids getting sick and this happening. I'm like, look, here's the reality. I told him right by those doors. I said, in a job like mine, with a church family as amazing as y'all, it's easy to not have faith. It's easy to just, whew, bills are paid, building's still standing, air conditioning works at a moderate level. I said, I, I prayed a few months ago. I said, Lord, whatever you have to do to get our attention, whatever you have to do to give me more faith, to trust you more, because I don't, I don't want to come to you like one of the people who's coming, like, I need your gifts. I need your stuff, Jesus. I want to be the woman on the ground who says, Jesus, I need everything. I got nothing without you. I, I don't want to be in the place of, of just a stable faith, which I don't think really exists. I want to be someone who's increasing in my dependence on Jesus, who needs him to intervene Otherwise, life won't go well. So the suburbs are super safe, you guys. Sometimes safety is the enemy of faith. This father, he was religious ruling class. He was a pastor. And it took his daughter's life fleeing for him to reach out to Jesus, to reach across the aisle. He got to see Jesus healing an unclean person on the way to go heal his daughter. I'm going to spoiler alert you, the daughter's going to die. Spoiler alert again, Jesus brings her to life. You're like, oh yeah, I've heard that before. But have you? Have we heard these stories and thought about the ramifications? Because right now it's just one tall guy telling you about the Bible and trying to give you just a taste of it, a taste of the fear and the tears and the dust and the sweat as we go into this Christmas season, you can go to Jesus and say, thank you for these things and stay, stay stable. Or you can say, I need it. I need to be like the woman. I need to just make sure that I can reach out for Jesus and not care that everything is going wrong with my life because I, as long as I have Jesus, I've got all that I need. Or be the man who doesn't know what to think about this Jesus because all of this guy's friends, all of Jairus's pastor friends, his Pharisee friends, they would have said, dude, don't go to Jesus. He's, he's not the guy. But when your kid's dying, you'll do whatever it takes. I pray that we have that type of faith this Christmas season, whatever it takes to change our world. I'm trying to get my kids to, to be grumpy Christmas people like me. My wife is like a female version of Buddy the Elf. Just Christmas comes, and she's like, oh, let's glitter everything and trees and lights. I still haven't put my lights up. I'll do them today, maybe. Uh, I'm like, babe, I don't like Christmas. Why don't you like Christmas? Because it was a pagan holiday, the winter solstice that Christians took over and said Jesus was born, then he wasn't born in this time of year. We know that for almost a certain fact. And now it was Christmas, Christmas for so many years, and then capitalism took back over, so now it's like presents. And I tell my kids, I say, look, Christmas is about Jesus. Every day is all about Jesus. Christmas is no different. My son Silas, who loves me so much and wants me to love him with all of everything, says, Daddy, because he knows what I love, don't get me any presents this year. I want you to take and just give anything you're going to get me and give that money to the poor. I say, that's why I said, oh. Jackson says, I want a computer. I don't care. <laughs> and I said, that's why you got asthma. No, I don't say that. <laughs> I don't say that. I don't say that. Savannah doesn't, Savannah's like, she's five. She's, I don't care. You know, I don't want a computer. 
I don't know about this poor thing. I just want donuts. I'm like, fair. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's it's pretty amazing though to um to think to look at my kids as a microcosm of a church family. Some of us are in the place where we're ready just to give it all away. Some of us are in the place where it's still about me. We come here for principles to help me, make it all about me. Can you help my marriage? Can you help my kids? Jesus can help all those things, but it's not all about you. If it were, the sign out front would say, all about fill in your name. It's all about Jesus. And, and the beautiful picture of Scripture is that when you approach Jesus, desperate for him, that's the, the beautiful symbiotic relationship is that's when your life actually gets put together in the healthiest, most complete spiritual way that could possibly exist. Because when you're enraptured with him, all that needs to be made right in your world is made right. You don't need to prove yourself to anybody anymore. It doesn't matter which gifts you get or don't get anymore. It doesn't matter if someone else loves you or doesn't love you anymore because you are so secure in the love of the Father, secured by Jesus. I pray that that would be you this year, that you, that you, would, that you would have the faith to say, I don't need anything because I have all that I need in Christ. I pray that you'd have the, the faith to be grateful for when you do get the things that you ask for. Because sometimes, you guys, God will give people the things they want, and sometimes he won't. But like the country song says, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. My only prayer for you this season is that you would approach Jesus like the desperate woman. And I pray that that prayer would go answered. Because if it does, life goes well. If it does, your family and your heart will change. If it does, our city sees less poor orphans and widows and more cared for, loved, and adopted people. Let's pray. Father, I am looking forward to this afternoon and spending time with you in prayer. Lord, I'm looking forward to this afternoon spending time just seeing my kids breathing. I'm grateful for all those things, but Jesus, I'm grateful for you above all. Lord, one day we will all die. One day we will all meet you face to face. I pray that that day, those sitting here in this room today would be able to say, there was a moment in my life where I realized the stuff didn't matter, but grabbing a hold of Jesus did. I pray that that day could be today, that they would let go of their need to make a certain amount of money, their need to be loved by a certain person, and that they would find everything in you and you alone. Lord, bless us. Stretch us. Draw us near in Jesus' name. All God's kids said, amen.